Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, March 26th. In today's news, Stormy Daniels says she and her child were threatened. More disarray in President Trump's legal team. And former employees of Cambridge Analytica say foreign nationals were shipped in to work on U.S. elections. But first, the big idea. The marches for gun control are a lot like the protests against Vietnam in one crucial way. A key reason the protests against the war in Vietnam were so much more potent than against the war in Iraq is that there was a draft back then. Millions of young people lived in fear that their number would get called or someone they loved, and they'd be shipped off against their will to the rice paddies and jungles of a faraway land for a cause they felt was unjust and a fight they believed to be futile. From 1964 to 1973, the U.S. military conscripted 2.2 million men, boys really, out of an eligible pool of 27 million. This helped fuel the mass movement against the war. Half a century later, millions of young people aren't worried about being drafted to fight in Korea, but they are palpably concerned that they or someone they know could get shot at school. A spate of high-profile incidents, culminating with last month's shooting in Parkland, Florida, has shaken many middle-class kids who wouldn't be inclined to activism out of their suburban comfort zones. The March for Our Lives was so big on Saturday because the fears are so personal. A whole generation has come of age since the 1999 massacre at Columbine High School in Colorado that left 13 dead. Nearly 200 people have died from gunfire at school since then, and more than 187,000 students attending at least 193 primary or secondary schools have experienced a shooting on campus during school hours, according to a Washington Post analysis. These numbers are relatively small when compared to the 58,000 casualties during Vietnam, but they're nonetheless staggering. Like other forms of terrorism, school shootings instill panic in the rest of the population. From coast to coast, hundreds of thousands of people, most of them young, protested on Saturday for stricter gun control. A lot of the students freely volunteered that they were motivated by dread and anxiety that they could be next. As Maya Middleton, 16 years old, put it, I'm here because I have been personally affected by the lack of gun control, and I believe guns have taken over the minds of individuals who want an easy way out of their dilemma. Chicago goes through this every day, and you don't realize how much of a toll it is taking on our city until you see it in our communities. You see it on someone you know. You see it on someone like me. I covered one of the hundreds of sister marches in San Francisco. Thousands gathered in front of City Hall. Kathy Richardson, who's now the lead singer of the rock band Jefferson Starship, said the energy reminded her of the peace movement in the 1960s. The band played a lot of the anti-Vietnam rallies back in the day, she said. I asked former Secretary of State John Kerry, who became an anti-war activist when he returned home from volunteering in Vietnam, about the parallels. He said every historic moment has its own power, and these young people deserve their own moment. Many of the organizers on Saturday who flew up to Washington, D.C. from Florida have earned the right to be heard through a shared loss that innocence should never experience. Their moral clarity defies politics or partisanship, Kerry explained. But he sees comparisons to the Vietnam veterans who returned home and felt compelled to speak about their experience. They felt compelled because they'd seen friends suffer and die for a policy that they thought was a mistake. As Kerry put it in an email to me early Monday morning, quote, 
because they'd served, they couldn't be dismissed by Spiro Agnew and the Nixon White House. The same way these young people from Parkland and all over the country can't be written off by mere politicians. Their moral authority is unimpeachable. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, adult film star Stormy Daniels appeared on 60 Minutes Sunday night to discuss her alleged affair with Donald Trump. Daniels told host Anderson Cooper that her decision to accept $130,000 in hush money during the final days of the 2016 presidential election was made, quote, out of fear. She said she was concerned about her family's safety after a scary incident in 2011, shortly after she first tried to sell her story to a tabloid magazine. Daniels said she was taking her infant daughter out of the car when a man approached her. And a guy walked up on me and said to me, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said, a a beautiful little girl, it'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. And then he was gone. After the Wall Street Journal first reported on the hush money, Daniel said she was pressured to sign a statement denying the affair. She said she was told that Trump's team, especially Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, could, quote, make your life hell in many different ways. The president and the first lady were not together when the interview aired on CBS Sunday. Melania stayed behind at Mar-a-Lago while Donald flew back to D.C. Number two, Joseph DeGeneva will no longer represent Trump in the Russia probe due to what a Trump spokesman calls a conflict of interest. That means that the president is now without a criminal defense attorney working for him, even as special counsel Bob Mueller's team appears to be entering a critical phase of the investigation. This development comes just three days after John Dowd, who was Trump's top attorney in the Russia inquiry, resigned because the president refused to take his advice. The issues between Trump and DeGeneva may have gone beyond conflicts of interest. One source says that Trump wanted DeGeneva on his team because he'd seen him defend him vigorously on Fox News. But when the two sat down in person, which remarkably didn't happen until after his hiring was announced, the president was less impressed. Trump's legal effort is now being led by conservative attorney Jay Sekulow, whose background is in constitutional law. A number of white-collar attorneys at the top Washington firms have said that the president hasn't been able to attract top talent because these big law firms are afraid that defending Trump would hurt their reputations, making it harder to get other clients and to recruit the best lawyers from the best law schools. Number three. Former employees of Cambridge Analytica, the data firm that received more than $5 million from the Trump campaign in 2016, say the firm sent dozens of foreigners to advise U.S. campaigns in 2015, even though their own attorneys warned them of restrictions that limit foreign nationals from participating in American campaigns. Cambridge Analytica is overwhelmingly staffed by non-U.S. citizens, mostly Canadians and Britons and some other Europeans. Their tasks apparently ran the gamut of campaign work. Christopher Wiley, who was the former research director at Cambridge Analytica and is now a whistleblower, tells the Post that, quote, the dirty little secret was that there was no one American involved in it and that it was a de facto foreign agent working on an American election. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, March 26th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.